0: Many of us grew up seeing pictures of Jesus, the one with the lamb around his shoulder, the one at the Gethsemane. Take a sentence and describe to someone your favorite picture of Jesus. Go ahead. Well, as we come back to our seats, Hopefully, there were some pictures of Jesus that came to your mind. Uh, We have a picture of Jesus that we're going to put up now, and I want to ask you, as I read the Scripture, if you see Jesus. We have kind of a long passage of Scripture today, so I'm going to read it for us. But as you listen to this passage from Scripture, if you want to read along, It's Luke 24, verses 13 through 35, and it's on page 860 of your Pew Bibles. But I invite you to look at this and ask if you see Jesus. Listen to the word of God, Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still and looked sad. One of them, whose name was Clopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them what things. They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, I want to let you know that if, uh, if you see Jesus, we're going to come back, and uh, if you don't see him, we'll have people point him out to you. You know, the last words that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. The last words that Jesus said were, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so for us as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, these words are spoken to us also. Look, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I have a question. If that's true, Do we see Jesus with us always, all the time? Either He didn't mean exactly what He said, or else some of us are missing something, or someone, most of the time. So I guess, to get started, one of the things we have to think about this morning when I ask, do you see Jesus? We have to come to some sort of understanding of what I mean what any of us means when we say, I see Jesus? Is it that we're supposed to look to our passenger seat when we're driving the car and see him there and know that he is our co-pilot? Is it that I'm talking to someone and while I speak to them, their face is transfigured and I no longer see their face, but rather see the face of Jesus? Or is it that I look at the photograph, a photograph of a landscape, and no longer see a landscape, but suddenly, unmistakably, see the face of God? How do we see Jesus? When do we see the face of God? Do we run the risk of becoming universalists by saying, I see Jesus in the Egg McMuffin. I see Jesus in Fluffy's fur. If we see Jesus everywhere, does Jesus become less particularly Jesus to us? But think about the other end of the spectrum. What if we see him nowhere? What if we get so caught up in the humdrum of everyday life that we miss seeing the face of God in our midst? And so we come back to the question, do we see Jesus, How do each of us take this question into the inner workings of our hearts and our minds? How do we let this question kind of percolate within us? And if you feel something rising up within you, maybe it's not an answer to the question. Maybe it's actually a desire a desire to see Jesus more frequently than we do. As Charlie mentioned, we call this Christ and Culture Sunday because we have an entertainment ministry here called The Beacon. And one of the questions that we sometimes wrestle with in that ministry is do we see Jesus? Because how and when and why I see Jesus informs what I create and how I work. And what I create and how I work here in L.A. has a magnitude. You see, what we think and how we perceive life here in L.A. has a tendency to move into the rest of the world and inform a global perception. Am I doing anything that helps or hinders someone else from seeing the face of Christ? Now, culture is one of those words that has about 12 different definitions, but I want you to listen to just one. Culture is the sum total of ways of living built up by a group of human beings and transmitted from one generation to another. I'm going to read it one more time. Culture is the sum total of ways of living built up by a group of human beings and transmitted from one generation to another. What we see is what we transmit, and what we transmit is where culture is born. I'm not going to talk that much today, as I sometimes do, about TV and movies and music and art and all of the various components of culture. What I'd like to do today is to ask all of us to take one step back from there, And ask us what we see. What are we looking at? Why don't we see Jesus more often? When do we see Jesus? And once we see the face of our Savior, once we recognize Him with us, what are we supposed to do? Take these. Two guys here on the road to Emmaus, for example, talking over everything that they had just seen and experienced, and then, because they don't recognize Jesus, they start to tell Jesus the story of Jesus. Now, our drama department wondered why these guys weren't chosen to write more gospels, and they have an idea that it could have looked something like this. A fine, and that ain't got a cure. Hey, we're off on the road to Amaeus. There's too much to deal with back there. Peter cut the nose off of a soldier, don't you know? You sure it was his nose? I thought it was his toe. Was... We certainly do get around. Angling with the Romans where Mayus found Listen, friends, I was actually there I think we did that We're world. off on the road to Emmaus look out, well, clear the way Cause here, here we come We've seen two pigs get multiplied to blood To feed a hungry throng I would have gone for seconds, but the line was way too long. Oh, we're off on the road to amaze We're walking away from all that fuss. Some women said they saw our Jesus risen from the dead. I think we all agree that they're not quite right in the heading. We certainly do get around. We want to say alive, so we're Emmaus bound. Say, mister, you look familiar. Are you sure we don't know you from somewhere? How could we? We're riding for our lives, yes, we're Emmaus bound. And maybe that's why they didn't write the Gospels. If, uh, if you like what our Bel Air Drama Department does, we want to make sure that you know that they're having auditions the next three Mondays. Uh, you like what they're doing on screen, you want to be part of the, the, the whole mechanism of making these, make sure that you see Bob Lee or any of the people in Bad. They're going to be on the patio with more information, but it's the next three Mondays open auditions for the Bel Air Drama Department. Jesus promises that he is with us Always. So, why don't we see him? What can we learn from the road to Emmaus? These guys are walking with Jesus, but they don't see him. They see someone, but they don't see him. And likewise, I think that Jesus is much more pervasively present in our lives than we know. And sometimes we don't see him either. What keeps us from seeing Jesus? Well, I think one of the reasons that we don't see Jesus is that we get too caught up in our own stories. We get too lost in our own disappointments and discouragements. These two guys were so overwhelmed with what happened that they got up and left town. They're focused on their disappointment. They tell Jesus, we thought this was the Messiah, but then they crucified him so he can't be the Messiah because that wouldn't have happened, and we're so discouraged. We're sick of pinning our hopes on all the wrong things, and we don't know what we're going to do. Don't you see how this affects us?" Now Emmaus was seven miles west of Jerusalem. These guys are traveling west at the end of the day. Have you ever traveled west at the end of the day? Anybody ever been on the 101 freeway when the sun is just below your visor and you realize that you're driving like this thinking, I can't see a thing. And you suddenly are aware that the other drivers around you are driving like this thinking, I can't see a thing. But we all keep going 65 miles an hour. The sun can be blinding when we're traveling west at sundown. It's possible that these men didn't literally see Jesus because they were traveling in a direction that they shouldn't have been going at a time that they should have actually been sitting still. How often do we travel to where the sun is setting? We just want the day to be over. Why don't we anticipate the rising of the new day? When we have a bad day, don't we just want to rush? The Calgon moment, God, take me away we rush to the ending of the day. If the only hope you have is that this bad day, this bad season, this bad chapter of your lives will be over, God will not let that be your only hope. God has a sun that is rising, and it's right behind you. God has a new day, and a new chapter, and a new season. When we get lost in our own stories, we have to remember that God has a story, and His story does not end badly. I think another reason that we may not see Jesus is that we disregard the appearance of Jesus in the stories of others. Now, to think about this, we have to go back to the beginning of Luke. When the women travel to the tomb, Listen to Luke beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, ''Why do you look for the living among the dead?'' He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered. Returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Why? Why was such a report so easily dismissed? Well, women weren't supposed to testify to anything at this point in time. Everything they said could be dismissed simply because they were women. Women shouldn't have had a story of this magnitude. It should have come from a man if it were going to come at all. We don't see what Jesus is doing when we miss him in the stories of others. The women had what's called an angelophany, the appearance of angels with a message. These women are the first to see what is happening, to begin to understand to begin to add theme to narrative, context to circumstances. Some people wonder why the angels appeared to them and not to the men. And some suggest that it's because of the inclination of their hearts, that they went to the tomb because they loved Jesus. Even after His death, they wanted to honor Him. All that was in it, as far as they knew, was a putrefying corpse and the knowledge that they were serving the one they still loved. Maybe that's why they saw angels. They couldn't have known that they would be the first people to see and hear something that would change the course of the world and rewrite the human story. And so they take this message and they rush back to the men, to the apostles, and they tell them what they saw and what they heard. And all but one dismissed this as an idle tale, as useless chatter. The Greek word can also be translated as useless chatter. And so, ladies, the stereotype has been with us for a long time. I think there's a more interesting translation of the Greek word. The Greek word is laros, and it's used only once, only here in the New Testament. It's a medical term. So isn't it interesting that it's Luke, the great physician, who is using this medical term to describe these women. The medical term refers to delirium brought on by a high fever. In other words, We could read this text as saying, the men thought these women were sick, and so they didn't pay attention to them. Too often, we as Christians listen to someone else's story, and we don't see Jesus. We're not looking for Him in their story, unless they're waving a flag under our nose and saying, this is Jesus, appearance of Jesus. It's somewhat sad that the subtlety and the nuance of how we tell a story is disappearing because we feel we have to hit people over the head if we are seeing Jesus. Listen up, Jesus is here. And how often do we hear the stories of non-Christians, people that don't know Jesus, people that wouldn't see Him, wouldn't recognize Him. How often do we hear their stories and dismiss them, thinking they don't know Jesus, they're probably sick, misguided, I'm not going to look for him in their stories. We need to be the ones who see Jesus. We need to be the ones that say, do you have any idea who that is you're talking to? Who that is that's walking with you? Who that is that's inspiring you and transmitting truth through you? Doesn't it happen all the time here in Hollywood? Someone who's never seen a movie standing at Starbucks next to Angelina Jolie talking about the air quality. Somebody who's never been to a basketball game at a crosswalk next to Kobe Bryant. Star sightings utterly missed until someone rushes up and says, dude, do you know who you've been talking to? We can miss the significance of a conversation that we're having If we don't know who we're talking to, we can miss the significance of what God is doing if we don't recognize Jesus in someone else's story. And I think there's one more reason why we sometimes don't see Jesus, and that's that sometimes we have more of an emphasis on reporting facts than we do on actually understanding them. These two here on the road to Remaeus correctly report all the facts of what happened in Jerusalem to Jesus. and What's his reply? How foolish you are and slow of heart. Now, it's not that the facts aren't important. The facts are very important. The facts are the bones, the structure of what we know and believe. But facts without understanding does not help us see Jesus. These two don't understand their own story, the story that they are in, and isn't it just like us? We can go over the data, over the facts, over and over and over again of what has happened to our lives, trying to understand, but ultimately, don't we have to hold it up to the Lord and say, can you make sense of this, this thing called my life? Because... I don't really understand it. Would you interpret it for me?" Repeating facts does not lead to understanding. Praying that God will reveal Jesus in those facts will change your life. So if we're so apt to not see Jesus, what help do we have in seeing Him? Clopas and his buddy tell Jesus exactly what happened in Jerusalem, and Jesus says, how foolish you are and slow of heart. Now, I truly don't believe that Jesus shows up and calls his friends stupid. Like, the first thing that the risen Lord does is appear to his friends and go, you guys are idiots. I don't think that's the first thing that the risen Lord does. I think that He has something very um, particular to say to them in this phrase, slow of heart. Slow of heart is how He is saying to them that they spent time with Him every day. They heard His teaching, they saw His miracles, and yet their hearts had not been substantially changed by that. Heart refers to an inner commitment. Their inner commitments had not been reorganized, reshaped. And we have to ask ourselves, have our hearts, have our inner commitments, how we interpret reality, what we think we know about ourselves and life, has that been not just rethought? Has it been completely dismantled? Take away everything we thought we know prior to Jesus and build it all again on this foundation. It's a different perception of reality. The first thing that we can do to see Jesus better is to orient ourselves to the things of God, orient ourselves to the central truth of the gospel, which is what? He is alive. He is alive. The women go to the tomb and see a vision of angels who say to them, why would you be looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for him here? He is alive. He specifically told you he wasn't going to be here. Don't you remember? The angels speak this marvelous word to the women, remember. Remember how He told you about all these things, and then they remember. You see, we forget. We get distracted. We get lost, especially when we're discouraged or scared or tired. We forget the teachings of Jesus. Our hearts have not been changed and so they're not part of us and we forget that we've ever been taught anything that has any bearing on our lives, anything that might disclose the purpose of God in our circumstances. What helps us remember? What helps us orient ourselves to the things of God? Well, Jesus seems to place a great deal of significance on Scripture. Scripture. If we want to see Jesus more often and more clearly, we have to commit our hearts to learning and understanding the Scriptures. All of them. Jesus began with Moses, book number one. Jesus began with Moses and the prophets, and He interpreted to them all the things about Himself in all the Scriptures, I would like to be in that Bible study. I'm just saying. Are we looking for Jesus in all the Scriptures, or is it just the New Testament, or is it just the Gospels? Do we see the purpose of God from the beginning of time to the end of time? Because I'm pretty sure that purpose is oriented around one truth, and that is that Jesus is alive. He always has been. He always will be. It's never going to change. We have to orient ourselves to that proclamation. And yet, even with this master Bible study class, this PhD class led by Jesus Christ Himself, they don't see Him. And by the way, I just need to take a moment, not, uh, hasn't much to do with our sermon, but I want to point out that it's here in Scripture that Jesus blesses the craft of acting. Did you see it? It says that Jesus acted as if He was going to go on. Jesus acted. (laughs) If Jesus can do it, I think it's an okay vocation. So here we are. It's at the end of a very disorienting day, a very disappointing day and the day is nearly over and these two guys remember to extend hospitality to this stranger and they say to Jesus, stay with us. There is one way to see Jesus even when you don't see Jesus, and that is to urge the stranger to stay with you. Don't let go of remarkable encounters. Don't let go of ordinary encounters. Don't let go of each other because we might be entertaining Jesus unaware. For our guys here on the road to Emmaus, the revelation did not come in the encounter itself. For our guys here on the road to Emmaus, the revelation did not come in the teaching itself. For these guys on the road to Emmaus, the revelation came in the fellowship After the encounter, and after the teaching, the revelation came in the breaking of bread. Sometimes, I think it's kind of funny how much emphasis Christians working in entertainment place on the project itself to lead someone to Christ. Now I will not say that that doesn't happen. I think it can happen. I think it has happened. I wouldn't discount that. But I think it's time to shift some responsibility back to the Christians in the audience. You are the ones who can have conversations with your friends after the movie, after the concert, after the season finale. You are the ones who can say, hey, what did you think? What did you see? Here's what I saw. You are the ones who can fill your conversations with revelation. Let's take that opportunity driving home, over pie and coffee. Don't miss the opportunity to point out the face of Christ. Do never, don't never, do ever think that eyes will never be opened. Don't ever think that someone will never change their mind. God can open someone's eyes like that. I ought to know He did it with me. The night that I said I will never be a Christian is the night that I became a Christian. True story. So, what do we do once we've seen Jesus? Once we've seen the face of our Savior, what do we do? Well, if we can take a lesson from the road to Emmaus, we go. We don't stay where we are. We take this message. We take this revelation. We take this complete reorientation of our lives, and we go. It can't wait until morning. Now, it is night. It is not safe to travel back to Jerusalem, but guess what? They're now traveling east. They're now traveling back to where they should be. They are traveling back to the beginning of a new day, a new thing. As God says, even in Isaiah chapter 43, see, I am doing a new thing. How can you not perceive it? We go. We are messengers. Clopas and his friend rush back to the other disciples, and what do they hear? Peter. Peter has seen the risen Lord. Can you imagine now their stories starting to cascade over each other, one after another saying, I saw Jesus, I saw him too. What did he say to you? This is what he said to me. You see, once we've seen Jesus in our story, we can never dismiss him in someone else's story. Those women who some 12 hours earlier were a little crazy in the head aren't looking so delusional now, are they? Can you imagine the men hushing each other, taking these women and and ushering them into a place of prominence in the room? Shh, shh, shh. Listen, listen, ladies, you who weren't supposed to have this story, ladies, would you tell us your story again? Because now that we've seen Jesus, we're going to see him in your story. We're going to listen. We're even going to write it down. Our perception has changed. We here in America can organize ourselves around the idea that perception is reality. Have you heard that phrase, perception is reality? The right cars, the right clothes, the right friends, and we can be perceived as the right people, right? Wrong. That kind of perception is a lie. God knows it, and we know it. And yet America still in many ways seems to live like that. Have you ever thought about this statement? Really thought about it. Perception is reality. We often say it here in the entertainment industry. Just make them believe that you're from South Carolina. Make them believe, that, make them believe you're taller. Perception, and they'll buy it. In the last 30-some years, this phrase is actually more closely associated with the political realm with the campaign spin machines that can cause us to believe almost anything or distort the facts so much that we don't know what we're looking at. There was one guy in particular, a guy named Lee Atwater, who was considered among the best at political campaigns. At the height of his career, in 1990, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and he was dead within the year. In the last year of this man's life, he could be described as living in a holy terror. It seems that suddenly he saw that he had not been traveling alone. It seems that suddenly he saw a holy God who caused him to see his life, himself, in light of an eternity that he was now moving rapidly toward. In the last year of his life, he converted to Catholicism, and he began to publicly apologize for what he called his naked cruelty. In 1991, he wrote an article for Life magazine, and these are his words. My illness helped me to see that what was missing in society is what was missing in me. A little heart and a lot of brotherhood. The 80s were about acquiring. Acquiring wealth, power, prestige, I ought to know I acquired more wealth, power, and prestige than most. But you can acquire all you want and still feel empty. What power wouldn't I trade for a little more time with my family? What price wouldn't I pay for an evening with friends? It took a deadly disease to put me eye to eye with this truth. But it is a truth that the country, caught up in its ruthless ambitions and moral decay, can learn on my dime. I don't know who will lead us, but they must be made to speak to this spiritual vacuum at the heart of American society, this tumor of the soul. Maybe the idea that perception is reality is more true than we've ever realized. Do we perceive Jesus? He's there whether we see him or not. The things that Jesus and scriptures have proclaimed will come to pass, whether we believe them or not. Do we see Jesus? Do we recognize the truth of God unfolding all around us? If we extend the Lordship of Christ over all creation, over every moment, past, present, and future, we have to see that there is no place He is not. Do we recognize Him traveling with us? Do we recognize Him coming in and going out among us? Do we know that He's listening to everything we say about ourselves? To everything we say about others? To every word we speak to our children? Would Jesus recognize himself as the central character of our story, the hero? Would he see himself as the author and perfecter, the writer of the dialogue, the orchestrator of the music, the designer of the set? Would Jesus recognize himself in our stories? We all tell our stories every day, and we listen to the stories of others. Gosh, a funny thing happened on the way to the market. I can't wait to tell you what happened to me last night. You are never going to believe what my boss said today. And so it goes, and so it goes, and we tell our stories. Do we see Jesus? May the grace of God give us eyes to see ever more clearly, ever more dearly the face of our Savior. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this gift of faith. God, we thank you for this prayer that we sung earlier today, eyes be open, awake my soul. And God, it is our prayer that we see you more, that we remember, that we orient our lives around you. Jesus, we give ourselves to you help us to see you. And God, as we pray over this morning's offering, even now we can envision your face, your hands receiving this offering, not something that we give to the church, but something that we give to you. And we can see that in this offering that you go into the world, your hands, your feet, your face. May the world see you, Jesus, in what we offer to you today. Our money, our time, our talent, may you be revealed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.